Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name And they're always glad you came You wanna be where you can see Our troubles are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name you had a great Thanksgiving now Merry Christmas okay it's the most wonderful time of the year okay I love this season I look forward to celebrating with you over these next few weeks and then online together on Christmas weekend and for now Christmas cheers okay my son Dex loves to tell people random facts he told me the origin of cheers Okay, when you cling your glasses together with a beverage inside. He said that back in the day, people would tap glasses together and a little bit of their drink would pour into theirs and it was a way of testing for poison. So you would cheers to someone to make sure you weren't being poisoned, okay? So the next time you clink glasses at a wedding or with your friend, you're really asking them, are you trying to murder me right now? Okay, kind of takes away from the celebration of it all, right? Now, this series is about opening our eyes to notice that God is always present, and he's always present in unexpected places. The church in a bar, okay? There's this scene in lots of Christmas movies where the main character is in despair. Maybe they got dumped, maybe they got fired. Seems like everything in their life has gone wrong, and they end up on Christmas Eve at a bar. There's Christmas lights in the background. Perhaps Christmas music is playing in the background. It's snowing out the window. And they sit alone and drink away their sorrows, their pain, their loss, their despair, their desperation. And in those moments, we in the audience can feel it, okay? It's, it's palpable. And in some ways we can relate because so many of us have experienced that same despair. So many of us have experienced that same kind of pain. And we may not have ended up in a bar in those moments, but that pain and that solace, that's part of the human condition in all of us. A man who is known to like and drink liquor all the time, uh, he's, he always said that he drank to drown his troubles. He was asked, well, after you drown them, why do you continue to drink? And he said, you don't know my troubles. My troubles are excellent swimmers. I try to drown them, but they swim right up again. Now, I wanna say from the get-go that we are not endorsing going to the bar, drinking your problems away. Uh, we're not making alcoholism and addiction a trivial thing because we have seen firsthand the pain and suffering that it takes on people and in families. But I do think that the bar motif and the internal sentiment, the pain that we all experience, is a place that Jesus is acutely present within. The Tylers. A couple married about 20 years ago. And for the last 12 years of their marriage, they wanted a child so bad. They spent thousands upon thousands of dollars on fertility treatments and in vitro. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. Perhaps you can relate. Perhaps you know someone who can relate. They tried it all. And Amy, the wife, she was just so brokenhearted. And during those years, Amy had knit together 
uh, two pair of little footies for a newborn, a blue pair and a pink pair. And those footies became a symbol for God to fill for them. It was her image that she kept praying for, that God fill those footies with a baby. Finally, after 12 years, they both gave up on that dream. They had to let it go. It was easier to try and pick up the pieces and move on than it was to keep trying and failing. One spring, they were at a church small group. There was an older couple in the small group and that older couple said in one particular meeting that there's a big change coming into our lives and we can't keep it inside any longer. Our teenage daughter is pregnant with a baby boy and we're gonna be adopting the boy and raising him as our own. So would you pray for us that, you, that God could support us, that could you guys support us in this really difficult season? And Amy, on the outside, she managed the feeling pretty well, okay? She had a smile and a look of compassion on her face, but inside she kept thinking, God, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? For 12 years, we tried to have a baby and nothing happened. We begged you for a child. We fasted for a child. We cried for a child. We did everything possible. We spent thousands of dollars and now some 15-year-old girl in the backseat of a car gets pregnant and doesn't even want the baby. Are you kidding me, God? And after small group that night, they got into their car and Amy broke down. When she got home, she cried, she yelled, she threw things. God, how dare you? She cried herself to sleep that night. It just hit her in such a way that all the suffering culminated in that one moment, that one night. The next morning, she had a tiny bit of peace, a little bit more peace. And often a good night of sleep can help that. And at breakfast, she felt God telling her to go over to that couple's house and bring the daughter the blue pair of footies to encourage her. She didn't want to. She didn't feel like it, but she did. She knocked on the door and the teenage girl answered. She said, your mom told me that you were having a baby boy and so I knit these blue footies for him. Congratulations, we're praying for you and the baby the teenage girl started crying because before this moment, she had only experienced shame from other Christians. Amy hugged her, embraced her, prayed for her, and then she went home. Amy wasn't home for 30 minutes before she, her phone rang. She didn't recognize the number, but she picked it up anyway, and on the other line was a doctor. You see, Amy had been a pharmaceutical rep and a year and a half earlier, she was in a rural farming community. It wasn't even a part of her territory, but she found herself giving a presentation to the doctor in this small town. And as she was leaving that day, the doctor asked her about her family and if she wanted to have kids. And for some reason she said, yeah, we really do, but it's not gonna happen. I've kind of given up on that dream. It was the first time she had ever really opened up to anybody really about it. And so the doctor on the other line continues and says, I don't know if you remember this, but you came to my office a year and a half ago, and you told me that you wanted to have children, but you weren't able to. Is that still true? And it was such a strange question, and Amy couldn't help but answer it honestly. And she said, yes, but we've given up on that dream. And the doctor said, before you give up on that dream, there is a young girl in my office that's pregnant. The father wants no part of the child and has moved to another country, and the family wants to give it to someone. 
would you want this baby? And Amy began to cry. And within months, after years and years and years of waiting and longing and praying, Amy and her husband had a baby daughter and those pink footies were also filled. Now, I don't share this story to show you that things always work out in the end, okay? They don't. But rather to say that the moments of Amy crying and yelling at God and throwing things across the room after, her, after she hears about this teenage girl getting pregnant, those real, honest, heartfelt, deep emotions, those moments were just as much a part of her victory as giving up those blue footies. The path to true spirituality, the path to a close relationship with Jesus is not a path that goes around pain and distress and despair. No, the path to true spirituality always goes through despair. John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus' friend dies. And when Jesus sees the pain and anguish and grief of the people he loves, he cries. And I just want to pause for a moment and talk about grief because sometimes we don't, we put it off or we channel it to something else. And I really feel like the Lord wants to share something for some of you. Okay, we have to grieve. We grieve the loss of loved ones, but we also grieve the loss of other things, a lost relationship. It is necessary to grieve after a divorce, often after a serious breakup or a lost job. When it comes to grief, we wanna find a way to get past or around it, but the only way to healing is through it. You can't heal what you can't feel. You can't just bury it. You can't just drink it away. We can't just move on like it didn't happen. It happened, it hurts, but there is healing. I read about a village in Africa that when a person dies during the night, Everyone in the village has to move something obvious that was in their home and put it on their lawn. What's that about? 
Well, for the family to wake up the next morning after their loved one has died and to go out into the village and see that everything has changed. Everything is, it's a reminder for the community that things will not be the same. We can't just move on. And this happens all the time. We're grieving over a lost relationship, the death of a loved one. And some of us just go on like life as usual. It's like, does anyone see my pain? Yes, God does. And we should too. Pain is inevitable. And in life, there will be suffering. There will. I'm sorry. And it sucks. But suffering is innate to the human experience. And to somehow pretend that as God's chosen people, if we do and pray the right things, that we will avoid it, that's lying. No one can take the pain away of a divorce. You were married 20 years, okay? You can't take that pain away, but we can help you grieve it. Pain is inevitable. But where you go and what you reach towards in the midst of that suffering matters. Do you reach out for a glass or do you reach out for God? Jesus is not aloof in our pain. He's next to us, whether you are in a church or in a bar. His heart for you isn't based on your heart for him. I'll say it again for the back row. His heart for you isn't based on your heart for him. He loves you. That's it. Last Sunday, I mentioned that we are doing a year-end giving push these last 40 days of 2022 and how we are giving to dreams of a permanent facility for more staff to meet growing needs and for more resources for acts of justice, mercy, and compassion here and on the other side of the planet. Now, none of those things are figurative for us, okay? None of those things are just thoughts. It's real. It's everyday life. I got a call on a Thursday in July this past summer from someone in our church. He said, John, I'm on the street. I've made a lot of bad choices. Can you pick me up and help me get into a program? 20 minutes later, he's in my truck and we go to an inpatient program and then they drug test him and he's not clean. They said, well, if you drink lots of water, there's a chance that you'll pass the drug test tomorrow and maybe then you can come in. Okay. And uh, and so this is a Thursday, uh, and so the next day is a Friday. They won't admit over the weekend, and so we got to get this guy clean. And so uh, we got to keep him off the street. So uh, he's with me all day. I'm running some errands, and one of the errands I had to run was going to get a gift card at a nail salon. So he and I walk into this place to get a $30 gift card, and the whole place stops and stares. It was as if everyone there couldn't help but make it so obvious that we did not belong there. And so we leave, we walk out, and he says, is it me or did, I, did we get that feeling that everyone was staring at us while we got this gift card? And I was like, yeah, dude, that happened. We got him some new clothes. We got him a hotel that was far away from the bad influences and bad choices. And he gives me his phone that night because he doesn't trust himself. Uh, so we get to the hotel lobby and I'm like, I need, need a room. And they're like, unfortunately, the only room we have um, is this deluxe room. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And they go, it has a jacuzzi right next to the bed. And I go, awesome. 
So uh, he goes to he goes in the hotel. Uh, I go home. I pick him up at 8 a.m. the next morning, and he tells me that he took four baths to get all of the dirt off of him. Uh, and I could see the ring of dirt around the jacuzzi and this a bunch of towels with dirt on them. And I take him into the rehab place and he tested negative on some of the substances, but positive on a couple as well. And so now he's got to stay clean throughout the rest of the weekend. So I get him an Airbnb. I get him some food. And we made it through those two days and we checked him into rehab on that Monday morning. Okay, that was in July. I hung out with him two weeks ago. He graduates in January. All of our church staff is going. He is a leader in all of the chapel services in the rehab facility. He's praying for guys, he's leading Bible studies, he's leading church services, and none of it would have been possible without you giving to Prodigal Church. You are amazing. You got a homeless drug addict a hotel room with a jacuzzi in it. You got him new clothes. You got him cleaning off the streets. And you helped countless others heal from addiction through him. So your giving is not just spiritual, it's practical. So we're doing a year-end giving push because your generosity makes a difference. And so this week we sent out a letter in the mail. And it should be in your mailbox already. And if not, we may not have you in our database. But would you consider a year-end gift to help our church make an even greater difference in 2023 and beyond? John 11, they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. A tear. In Greek, it's, it's dakruyo, shed tears. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this about this tiny verse. Only when we stop and ponder this will we understand the full mystery of John's gospel. Only when we put away our high and dry pictures of who God is and replace them with pictures in which the word who is God can cry with the world's crying will we discover what the word God really means. Mother Teresa in an interview was asked, when a baby dies alone in Calcutta, where is God? Her response, God is there suffering with that baby. The question really is, where are you? In suffering, we always ask why. And that is good, okay, we should, God's okay with it. But we should ask, how can I help? Who can I help? How can I become better through this? What can I do to bless others in the midst of this? Why? It's, it's very important. But so is who, how, and what. From our story earlier, that is what transformed Amy in her moments of grief and pain. It was in the midst of suffering. Can I muster the strength to look outside of my pain to bless someone else? Jesus wept. We'll finish the story. Verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Okay, the, the King James Version, it says that he stinketh. Okay, verse 40, Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? 
So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Jewish theology of the day said that a soul hovers over the body for three days. Jesus shows up on the fourth. See, there are instances in the ancient world when someone would go into a coma, something would happen and they would be, appear to be dead, and then they, they really wouldn't be dead. A day would go by, a couple days would go by, and they would think they're never going to come out, and then they do. And so this is part of the reason there was the Jewish custom that after three days, that's when they're really dead. It's for real. A Jewish rabbi said that the soul hovers over the body of a deceased person for three days, intending to re-enter it. But as soon as it sees the appearance change, it departs. Jesus didn't believe this, but many of the people in Jesus's day did. And by allowing Lazarus to be dead for four days, he is accommodating to the culture of the people. If he would have healed him on the third day, some would have said, well, oh, his spirit is still hovering over him and it went back in, which is great, but it's not resurrection. No, resurrection is when you are dead, dead, and Jesus calls us back to life. Augustine said that Jesus had to specify Lazarus, right? He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Augustine says he had to specify the name because if not, then all of the dead in history's past would have rose. What a sight that would have been. Jesus spoke and the dead came back to life. You have made mistakes, big ones. I have made mistakes, big ones. Jesus loves me. He beckons me and holds me even in, maybe especially in my worst moments. Our sin, our selfish and destructive choices take a toll on our lives and it's hard to move on. C.S. Lewis said that we have this strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. No, it doesn't. Jesus does. Whatever you have done, whatever you have thought, whatever it is, no matter what it is, there is cancellation in Jesus. There is forgiveness in Jesus. And Jesus doesn't abandon you in your bad choices. What if God doesn't choose to save us in spite of our failures, losses, and embarrassments, but, but pro <clears throat> what if God doesn't choose to save us in spite of our failures, losses, and embarrassments, but precisely through them. What, it, what if it's not avoiding the fall that strengthens our faith, but the falling itself? Psalm 139 verse 12, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. There is no escaping the fact that we will all have to deal at times with the intrinsic consequences of our bad choices, our actions. Some of us have learned that all too well. But God is not the one who enforces the laws of gravity, of cause and effect, 
as some sort of extra punishment. No, God is the one who interrupts that natural cycle with grace. A couple of years ago, I heard this song called Whiskey Lows. It's a spiritual song. It is so powerful to me. And I never thought it could be played in a church service, even though it drew me nearer to Jesus. We're going to end with this song now. It is about how God doesn't abandon us in our bad choices, and that in our desperation and in our despair, Jesus is praying for us, longing for us, drawing us near. So we're going to make this church sanctuary here online into a saloon, into a bar. And this song isn't necessarily my story, but it's someone's story. And in some ways, it's all of our stories. Jesus is acutely present in unexpected places. He is with us. He is for us. He loves us. He also likes us. So would you still your heart and may this song speak to the despair and desperation in your own heart that you might cling to Jesus in a greater way. Sometimes I don't feel my highest It's like I reach up And find that I'm not the tallest Like my good just ain't good enough My honest ain't true enough And my world is a sad kind of blue I look to the heavens For something to pull me through
sweetest I'll ever know Sweetest, I'll 